the only independent study option I had was to work on a plantation. And the only independent study option I had was to do it for free. So I would be a black American working on a plantation for free to graduate college. And I just came to Dr. Stater and I was like, hi, so here's what's happening. And I told him and he was like, well, that's unacceptable. I look forward to your suggestions. Mm. And that was like, I get chills just thinking about it just now. Cause it's Mm. like, that's how teachers need to be. That's how Mm. institutions need to be. Hello. Hello. Welcome to At Home. This is a place where we explore all the nooks and crannies of what makes us feel at home. The good, the meh, and the messy. We've been together over 10 years and we still have a lot to learn about each other. (laughs) I've been with myself for a long time and I still haven't figured myself out. It's a process. Well, there will be heated debates. Yeah, because Drew has very strong opinions Mm -hmm. about everything, like leaving the toilet lit up. Well, hey, we'll just bring in experts to help us solve those. What about you, though? Leaving hair dolls in the shower, ew. Uh, Those are gifts. (laughs) Yeah, that no one wants. This is all a part of our life at home. How you holding up, Lindy? I am holding up, kind of. My... (laughs) She's tired all the time. <laughs> I was thinking about my boobs. My boobs are not holding up. I haven't gotten things to hold them up. I haven't. <laughs> Lin- Linda keeps talking for four months. She's talking about getting new bras. And as she- her belly is expanding, so are her boobs. And literally, I'm not saying this to be a weird pervert or something, or does it sound that way? But literally, the two of them feel like the, dumbbells. The two of them? The two of them. They literally feel yeah, like, how like do you think five, I feel? five or 10 pound dumbbells. And you have to carry that around. And your belly, I, I feel it for you. That's why you have to massage me every night. I d- and I will. I will continue to. <laughs> Let's get on ordering the pertinent necessities. I know. It's just like researching all of the different products. I get kind of burnt out and I get tired of looking at the screen and comparing products. And I, know, I haven't gotten around to looking at brazias. I will get on that as well as other things I need. Um, well, we still haven't yeah. ordered our crib or we haven't finished the nursery. Well, still, or, that's that's what I'm talking about. Like researching all of the different like strollers, car seats, cribs, um, crib mattresses. We have this amazing community of awesome people. Uh, anybody out there want to share, you know, products that you think are ethically and sustainably made? Organic and non-toxic. Innovative and amazing for parents to have <laughs> to make their lives easier with babies. Let us know. Yeah, things that check all the boxes. Is that too much to ask for? No, not at all. <laughs> we're, we're getting there though. I mean, I, I still, I feel really good and we've been doing our classes, our baby education classes and stuff. So. Yeah, I feel good. I don't feel, mm, I don't feel anxious or anything yet. Um, I said that I would wait until after the holidays. We're well after the holidays now um, to start planning and designing but we got to get moving. And anytime we check the like the what to expect app to say like, or it tells us how many weeks we have left. It just at doesn't that sound point, like I'm like, much. oh, poop. Thirteen to fourteen <laughs> weeks. That just doesn't sound like a 13 lot. Thirteen to fourteen. Is yeah. that what it says? No. No. Well, we're yeah, but it's been a lot of yeah. We're researching. We're educating. So it's busy, but we're getting there. We yes. Are. Actually, this this month too is a lot of 
sort learning of listening and, and learning and relearning and yeah, it's, it's Black History Month. Happy Black History Month, everybody. We're here to honor the triumphs and struggles of African Americans throughout U.S. history. And last year, we actually had the honor of speaking with Manuel Acho. He's a New York Times bestselling author of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Also, and Emmy winner. Emmy winner too. And Woo-hoo. man, he looks good in a suit. He he has the best suits that he wears. Uh, I have that suit, envy. suit. That suit was. Very, very meaningful. It was meaningful, yeah. So from afar, it looks like pinstripes. And when you look up close, they're actually the names of people whose lives were taken away. Too soon. Um, too soon and unjustly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, Emmanuel's a very inspiring person. And I remember him just saying, you know, it's always good to sit back and listen. I think there's so much that we can learn. So... Celebrating Black History Month. And actually, we have our guest this week is an amazing, amazing, talented educator, author, Blair Amani. And historian. Historian. That's the coolest part to me. You know, I always just, ever since I was a kid, I just picture the historian as that 105-year-old lady or man who walks around the library shushing you. Did you actually really picture it as a lady? I did. So Blair has uh, several books, Read This to Get Smarter, Making Our Way Home, Modern Herstory. Yeah, she is one smart... Cookie. I was going to say cookie, but she's she's way more than that. She's the whole cake. Um, <laughs> and we're really excited to talk to her because on At Home, we just... I mean, we try to get smarter. Sometimes we don't sound smarter. But yeah, just being at home and designing our lives at home includes learning new things and conversations and learning about things that happen outside of these four walls as well. Absolutely. So Blair's work centers on women, global black communities and the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. And where did we first meet Blair? I think it was actually, we were... um, Oh, it was at the Love Loud concert. Yeah, Dan Reynolds. Yeah. I think we just randomly bumped into Blair and then just chatted for a couple hours. Yeah. And she's just radiant and so smart. And, um, are you saying she's smart because of smarter in seconds? She's just, she's just smart and kind and lovely. And you've probably seen her on Instagram. She has her Instagram reel series, smarter in seconds. It's amassed over 50 million views. It is what it sounds like. You get smarter in seconds with the information that she presents and how she does it. She has also presented at Oxford, Stanford, Harvard, Duke, and more. And we are so inspired by her. And well, what I what I like, I'm, I'm like how you're doing like a run on sentence of all her awesomeness, and I literally can't. I know. Get I'm out of, I'm sweating. I'm <laughs> this is the thing that she does though is she takes a lot of information that could be really hard to digest. Yes, and she makes it small consumable bite-sized pieces, um, which is really, really important, especially for the topics that she um, surrounds all of her research uh, in. So without further ado, I think we should just hop in and talk to the one and only Blair Amani. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google. 
to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not <laughs> mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, hey Blair. Thanks for joining us at home. So we, good to see your face. We're such big fans of everything that you do. I actually feel like a smarter person because of all the diverse topics that you educate us on. Yeah, I love that you just make it easy for us to understand such diverse complex issues, anything from racial issues, gender issues, relationships. relationships. Yeah. Oh, hey, we said it together. Jinx. Relationships. <laughs> but first, we'd love to dig into your backstory and your journey to figure out how you got smarter. We've watched a lot of your videos and we learned that your mom was such an influential role model. So we'd love to start there. Well, I definitely have to shout out my dad as well. He's been listening to my podcast and has been like, Blair, why why am I not getting these shout outs? Aww. And it was like, he was definitely like the study force as well. It's funny today because my parents are such intentional communicators and intentional people. If I had an issue with somebody at school and I didn't want to invite them to like an event, a birthday party, my parents were like, that's unacceptable. You have to invite them because their you know, worst treatment of you might've been their worst day. And mm. you don't want to duplicate those harms. And so mm. I'm like super, I've just always been thinking about like inclusion. Um, I think it also has to do with my mother growing up being a lighter skinned um, black woman and feeling like kind of an oddball within her black community. And then my father being, you know, a browner skinned black man growing up around white people. And so they both grew up feeling like fish out of water and never wanted their kids to make other people feel that way. Mm. Um, the birthday party thing, especially because my mom was constantly not invited to to things and it was really difficult for her growing mm. up. And I think that I experienced some, um, you know, kind of like feeling an outcast myself, but my dad would always tell me, yeah, I was the nerd growing up, but now I have a really great, you know, foundation. I have great people in my life and I just never changed myself. And it's been very true with me. The funny thing now, especially over the pandemic, was when my parents who were not being the most intentional communicators, because, you know, you grow up and you realize, oh, snap, these people who raised me, they're still people. My gosh, like, what is this? <laughs> and there'd be things where my mom would say something and I'd be like, oh, mom, let's unpack that. And then she's like, Blair, why does everything have to be a teachable moment? I was like, because you raised me to be this person, mom. <laughs> it's because it's coming from inside the house, dude. And so that's definitely been the kind of funny moments now is that I have become exactly who my parents raised me to be. And they're getting a little exhausted to buy it because I'm so, so much like the best parts of them. Yeah. It's like, can you just not be like, try to be smart for like a second? <laughs> yeah. They're like, Blair, it's not that deep. And I'm like, wait, because can I tell you how when we would watch family, like movies together as a family, my dad would pause it and be like, now this part, this part you need to really consider because this was said and it's not really how you should treat people, but we're watching a, a film. So it's for a specific purpose. And so now I'll play it. And we were like, dad. We just want to watch the show. Now, whenever I do something and we'll be watching TV and I'll be like, oh, is this really appropriate for us to be watching right now? And they'll be like, Blair, we're adults. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought that this was just what we, I didn't realize they were doing it for my benefit because I was a yeah. kid. I just thought like, this is like how they are. But now I'm an uh. adult with my parents who are adults and it's like a different perspective. But I think that what I've noticed, at least for like parenting advice for, you know, y'all be, you know, being parents, like I don't have kids yet, but uh, there's a great book called Parent Like It Matters by Dr. Janice Johnson Dias, mm -hmm. which I highly recommend checking out because she raised Marley Dias, who's absolutely incredible and who I talk about in my book, Modern History. But I think that we try our best with people that we're teaching. And eventually we have to know that 
sometimes they're going to fail. Sometimes they're not going to rise to the occasion. And that's okay too, because that's part of the process. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned having 400,000 plus students. Like you can try to like build, you know, a cocoon around people, but at the end of the day, they kind of have to learn their their own way. And that's like the hardest thing because mm-hmm. you want to protect people from their failures. But sometimes those are the best learning moments. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. I, and I we've talked about this. That's probably one of my sort of lessons moving into being a parent is to make sure that I'm, letting someone else learn the way I did when I was a kid and not try and just teach them a shortcut. This is how I did it. This is how it's done. Let's mm-hmm. move on because they'll never retain it or they won't keep it from that experience that yeah. they have. And, and talking about like letting people make their own mistakes or I guess just figuring out their way of learning and experiencing, that's probably a huge part of why you're such a great teacher because you can speak about your own experiences. Oh, all the time. Yeah. I think once I got to a place of being able to be like, okay, I'm not a perfect human. I'm a teacher, but being a teacher, being an educator doesn't mean you're not learning anymore. And I was saying to, to a few friends that like the most dangerous person is the person that thinks they know everything mm-hmm. or the person that thinks they have everything to teach and nothing to learn because that locks you into a hierarchy of thinking, oh no, I'm here to contribute, not to receive. And that's not how humanity works. That's not how literally anything works. We're such like impressionable people. People always say children are impressionable, but that's like a, that's a human thing. That's not just kids, you know? Kids are sometimes more open because they'll be like, what does that mean? What is this about? But what adults do, what I notice is make, make assumptions and they'll say their assumption instead of asking a question. They'll guess where somebody is from instead of learning about them in an organic way or, you know, categorize people instead of wanting to learn um, what that person's truth actually is. And so once I let go of that, it became such a relief, one, because it can be very stressful and frustrating to post something and for people to then ask follow-up questions, especially for myself, being a, a Black woman I've been so uh, used to people questioning me not to learn, but to demean me, to delegitimize me, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's, you know, just like living life growing up. Um, So I realized that when people asked me follow-up questions, I was getting this perception that they were trying to be aggressive with me and they were just trying to learn and contribute. Mm. And then I learned, oh, I have my own healing to do. So I'm not, you know, passing that pain on to other people. Mm. And so now when people, you know, when I post a smarter in seconds, my little, you know, 60 second to 30 second lessons, when I post one of those and somebody's like, oh, you forgot about this. I'm not receiving that as, oh, Blair, you suck. You forgot this part. You're not a good teacher. They're saying, oh, I want to contribute to this conversation as well. Mm. And that has been such a great lesson for me to learn. But if I was, you know, sitting up here being like, well, I'm done learning. I'm like, I'm static. That's done. Then I would never learn that lesson. And I'd probably be walking around still being really frustrated at people for simply asking follow-up questions in a space that I have set up to be a learning one. I see that too. It it seems like there are more and more questions that are popping up all the time, um, which is really great. It's creating a a community of curiosity. Um, Oh, absolutely. And it's like what you want as an educator, you don't want people to be just sitting there and being like, ah, yes, this is great. You want people to challenge you and push you and do so thoughtfully and compassionately. And sometimes people don't know the best way to ask a question or they just, they assume that I assume that they're just reaching me at face value. So even when I get something that could be hateful, you know, being a LGBTQ plus person, being bisexual and being Muslim, sometimes I'll get questions that aren't phrased in the most thoughtful way about what that means for me. And instead of trying to like parse through whether somebody is trying to hurt my feelings or really learn with me, because I, I generally don't want to give it that much emotional headspace. Mm. 
um, is I just send them to my FAQ page. So I just try to provide them answers and then they can go on their journey. And nine times out of 10, somebody will come back and be like, oh my goodness, that was so enlightening. Thank you so much. But their first question will be like, gay, Muslim, question mark, question mark, question mark. And I w- I'm going to assume that that's hateful because I'm like, I've grown up knowing what that's like. But not everybody is trying to demean you. And that's really hard to accept when that has been your reality. And so it's kind of, it's hard to treat every new person you experience as a whole Mm. new person, but we have to, in order to get to a better place, a more compassionate and kinder community as well as a smarter one. Yeah. And that's one thing that I, I find is so tough, even just with us conversation wise, like you just fall into certain routines that are annoying that I find I'll end up communicating to Linda in a way, or she says something and my first reaction is she's getting defensive or passive aggressive, but she's not, she's just stating something or she's just, but why do we always go to that spot first instead of trying to look for if there was a different message that somebody was trying to communicate or if there, if it's just curiosity. And so that's something I mean, I I do it with my partner too. (laughs) We all do it. It's frustrating. My partner Akeem was like, babe, you should film something like you should film your smarter in seconds on a set instead of just against this wooden wall in our house. And I was like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> and it's like, now Akeem studies performance and has directed plays and written plays and writes screenplays constantly. And like, if anybody was going to give me this advice, it would be somebody who has that expertise yeah. and also who loves me. Right. <laughs> but initially I was just like, cause I was tapping into a fear that I have from my own traumas and my own baggage, which is about me making something that I really value Mm -hmm. and then that being questioned. Mm -hmm. And so I have to like understand that, that this is a different context every single time. And I ended up being like, my first response was like, no, I'm not doing that. And it took having somebody else um, who, who was like, Blair, maybe since Akeem's like area of expertise is this, you should listen to Akeem. And I was like, yeah. And I ended up doing that. And I think it's really worked well. (laughs) We have to sometimes trust that people aren't trying to, you know, attack us, but I think it's a very human thing. It's a very, like I was bullied growing up. So it's, it's a thing that I have to really work on and work through, but sometimes people are just wanting to work in our best interest. And that's like a hard thing to accept when that hasn't maybe been your reality constantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you haven't really had the chance to, or you haven't taken the time to practice accepting that it's help and not just, you know, someone being offensive intentionally. Yeah. Like what led you to write your most recent book? So my most recent book, Read This to Get Smarter, was definitely based on Smarter in Seconds. Um, I was doing so many Smarter in Seconds, like on the other side of my house right now, like I have all of my hats lined up and I realized that I'm really good at teaching people and talking fast, which is a very Los Angeles thing. (laughs) And so why don't I do both of those things together where I'll just teach people and talk really fast. And it's so tragic that I couldn't use those talking fast skills to be a rapper but this is my one creative day, outlet. One this, day, we'll maybe. See. This is, you're going to turn this into spoken word. But that's like one of the most beautiful art forms. Yeah. And I took rap lessons when I was in New York <gasps> and a rap coach, he told me I was too happy. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I keep joking. I was like, what's my rap music going to sound like? Like going to brunch with my girls, <laughs> drinking mimosas, talking about oppression, going to a protest. Like, what is it going to be? You know? So Smarter in Seconds is a much better I outlet. I your album. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. So I did a lesson about cowboys and I wore a 10 gallon hat and I did like this horrible Southern accent. And I was just like, you may have heard that cowboys are white, but that just ain't the whole truth. Cowboys were black, indigenous, Mexican, and other backgrounds too. You don't believe me? I've given you proof. I mean, vaquero is a Spanish word and that's where we get buckaroo. 
Now it's vaquero in Spanish, but that's been called vaquero, which turned into buckaroo. And then people ended up loving it, including the editor of my last two books, Caitlin Ketchum. And she reached out and she was like, hey, Blair, we're getting a lot of pitches from folks who, you know, have gone viral during the, uh, you know, uprisings of 2020 to talk about racism. But not a lot of those people are speaking from a place of personal experience. And I would rather work with you. And so I started putting this proposal together. And it was like, well, how do I turn something that has been a viral 60 second engagement point? And what I've been thinking about now is that Smarter in Seconds is your appetizer. Mm -hmm. but your meal is read this to get smarter and like how do you sit there and like literally digest the material because I love a prolonged (laughs) metaphor Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just been really great I talk about identity relationships class disability and one of the things I'm most proud of is in the timeline of race where people understand, I think today that race is a construct, that race isn't something that's like biological or physical. It's something that has been created politically. But what does that really, really mean? Mm. And so on page 100, right in the middle of the book, there's this timeline of how race was created from the 1400s to you know 1950 in the present day. And I really just want to give people the tools and resources to be able to break that down because I truly believe that human beings are good and we want to be compassionate. A lot of us are stuck in our ways because we've decided we're done learning, but a lot more of us want to learn more. And mm-hmm. once we see that something isn't rooted in fact, we want to change. We want to do better. Yeah. And that's something really beautiful. And so how do we continue that learning process in a compassionate and loving way? And that is my general vibe. When you're in a conversation, aside from sending them to your FAQ, when you're in a conversation, for example, like the the Fox conversation you had with Tucker Carlson, and you have somebody who is dictating things to you as truth and fact, and this is how it is, and it almost seems like they're not willing to learn, how do you confront those conversations without just getting into a fight or getting your back up? Or, or is that what it takes sometimes? Well, I think it depends. I think that it depends on your own definition of safety. I think that with Tucker Carlson, so I was on the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show once. Of course, they re-aired that episode three times, which is weird because it's supposed to be the news and not a television show, but hey. Mm. Um, And I went on that show kind of with the express purpose of getting my name out there. I knew I wasn't going to change his mind, but I knew that I might share a perspective and show people a side of humanity that they aren't shown on that channel. And I think I accomplished that. What also happened in the midst of this was that I came out as a bisexual Muslim Mm. or as a queer Muslim specifically. And that wasn't intentional. What happened in that case was that I kind of let all of my scruples go by the wayside when he was starting to like what you said, dictate to me a a truth and reality Mm -hmm. that didn't align with my truth. And I felt this intense Scorpio need to correct Mm. him. And I did while simultaneously coming out to all of America (laughs) and then also international audiences and the rest of my extended family. So that was wild. But I think that that has been a really great lesson. We have to know why we're going into a conversation. I did a Mm. lesson on how to find credible sources and And when we look at anything we're doing, we have to determine, is this to entertain, to educate, to persuade, and why? And then when we go into that situation, sometimes it can just be to experience one another. That's also allowed. That's Mm -hmm. just to have a free flow exchange of ideas. One thing that I have in my book is a guide on how to have tough conversations. And if I can go grab it, I'll read it through for you. I would love that. Yes, please. Yes, please. So I want to send these to you. This is my guide to having tough conversations. So I'll read it out. It's by um, illustrated by Cami Zaya. How to have tough conversations. One, speak to share your message, not to change minds, which is controversial because we would think that we want to change people's minds. But once you realize that your words cannot control somebody else's thoughts, it's a huge relief and you can just move forward. 
Two, listen with intention and not to respond or silence. Try to let go of defensiveness. And I say try because we're humans. And Mm -hmm. when somebody is challenging you, you want to get defensive, but you have to try to let go of defensiveness. Three, respect boundaries. For example, I don't want to talk about this means give that person some space. Four, speak from personal experiences, not on behalf of others. And then also, if you're speaking about something like science, you'd want to use credible sources. Then number five is be patient with yourself and others and don't try to be perfect. And the other things, I I adapted it for my book, start with a place of mutual respect. If you're having any conversation with anybody and they don't respect you or you don't respect them as a whole separate being who has their own thoughts and feelings then it's hard to have any type of a conversation or interaction with Mm. them. And I think that's why it's hard to like go back retroactively and think what I do that conversation with Tucker Carlson again, I mean, because it was me really viewing, Oh, I can get on this platform and I can, you know, share my experience with people. That was my goal. My goal was not to be humanized by Tucker Carlson and to go into that situation in a different way. But if it doesn't start with mutual respect, then maybe consider not having that conversation. But then again, when you're an ally to a movement and somebody does view you as somebody who is a whole person, then that's when you can, you know, use some of that data, use some of that storytelling, use somebody else's stories with Mm. their permission in order to change hearts and minds. Mm. But for people who are already just trying to survive in this world, your survival is enough. You don't have to also try to change people's minds or convince them of your humanity. The one point that really spoke to me is you don't have to try to be perfect. Because that in this day and age is so paralyzing because, you know, once you put something out there, it's like, oh, now it's like it's going to be judged or like you're going to be canceled or like, oh, I might ask it the wrong way or it might come off as offensive. And that's really real. I think that social media, I think really platforms like Twitter specifically, um, which I'm completely off now really incentivize people to be as reactionary as possible. But that can also come at a lot of different risks. I've been talking to my students. I was speaking at a secondary school in the UK about how it's okay to not know what to say and to have to process things before you say it. That's actually very common. Mm -hmm. But when, you know, say, for example, Bell Hooks just passed. And that was really tough for me because I look up to her so much and I still do in her work around feminism. And I work for a couple of different, you know, like kind of organizations or I'm on boards and advisory and somebody reached out to me and was like, hey, Blair, can you help us craft a statement? And I was just like, no, I need to be sad for a little while. And they totally respected that. But everything in my life, you know, everything for, you know, how you should be successful is to not do that. You should jump in and put your feelings to the side. But what I need to do to honor my humanity and to honestly live the values that Bell Hooks would be talking about would be to take that time in that space because she was about making sure that, we are fighting systems of exploitation, including the systems that make us feel like we can't take a rest or process Mm. things. And how do you do that specifically? Like what is your self-care practice? Because you, you know, have spoken about being a part of all of these different communities and, you know, at any given moment, one community is suffering or going through something. And that is, you know, a lot for for you to take on. One of the best lessons I, I learned in college was that you don't have to fight every fight on your own and that the good mark of a movement uh, and a community is when one community member needs to rest that somebody else picks up the torch and goes Mm -hmm. and it can be very difficult because I think especially growing up in the United States like there's definitely this perception of 
go, 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 fight, fight, fight. Um, do it on your own. Be an individual. But if you go into a battle on your own, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. And when that battle is like giant systems of oppression and institutional obstacles, you're definitely just going to exhaust yourself and burn out. So my mom would always tell me, you know, Blair, I want you to go to some parties, like don't burn out. And I was like, mom, I'm trying to fight the power. Why would I go to a party? Because I didn't recognize that you have to have moments of levity and joy and celebration in order to have moments of real intense and and, and depth. But I would do things like sleep through a protest that I helped to organize. And then um, my friend Samaji, she would come in, help it, you know, it would go through. But I slept through something that I was so excited about doing because I literally wasn't sleeping. I wasn't taking care of myself consistently. I think when people discuss things like self-care, they think that, okay, it's my time to unplug, to totally log off. For me, I was like, okay, my self-care practice can't be completely unplugging for a week Mm -hmm. because I am on Instagram and you have to be very plugged in or else you get, you know, you don't perform in the algorithm. So what can that look like? I wake up very early, I pray and I take a bubble bath and I don't do it every day because I want to be environmentally friendly and I can't take vacations and stuff all the time. So I try to like, whether it's me putting on like an Oculus headset and like just pretending that I'm like kayaking through the Antarctic because if everything that I do is as heavy as the heaviest thing that I'm carrying, then yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get crushed under that pressure. I think about it like being at school, like you have to have school time and then you also have to have recess and that's my self care. Yeah. I think that's, that's perfect. I mean, that's balance. You need that balance because any, any one out of balance, you'll just burn out. Yeah. I bet that gives your, both your parents so much peace to be like, okay, Blair's, you know, taking care of herself and not oh, just- Oh, hundred percent. And they're so funny because they're like, Blair, if you don't party when you're young, you'll never party. Oh. And I'm like, you are at parties all the time. Like during <laughs> coronavirus at the peak of lockdowns, my mom bought a light, one of those disco lights and had it on in the living room. And she just hired a DJ that also joined on Zoom and had all of her girlfriends on these little Zoom boxes all jamming because she had gotten them <laughs> oh all gosh. disco lights. That's my amazing. mom will turn a party out of- anything but she's like no you her life is a party but she also is very serious she's a super hard-working businesswoman but she takes her work as serious as she takes her play mm-hmm. that's amazing i absolutely love that's that such a good lesson ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. Can you tell me, so, I mean, you're a historian and an educator. What did you actually study in school? I studied history. So I'm one of the few folks who studied history and then is a historian. When I think historian, I, I don't think of the breadth of everything that you talk about and that you do. And you're, you're so young yet feel so... You're so wise. So wise, so old and in, in that great way um, with, with wisdom. So w- how did you round out what you studied to really be able to speak to what you speak to today? I will give you the truest, truest response to this. So I didn't set out as a young person to become a historian. I think in hindsight, history is really what nurtured my soul. But I think that history was definitely always in my orbit. Um, it's just so good to be grounded in your own, in your context and to feel like, 
especially my teen angst. Like when I was when I was in high school, I remember being so angsty just because like hormones are changing. You want to fit in. And mm-hmm. then I read something about ancient Mesopotamia and this tablet that was written in cuneiform where this teen was talking about how his parents just don't understand him. Mm-hmm. And that's like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And it's like human beings, we're all the same. We just have different tools and resources and mm-hmm. things ebb and flow. And I really love that about history. I decided to become a historian or to pursue history because there was a teacher and I really wish I could have named, remember, oh, oh, I do, Professor Steve Ross. And he was so excited. He was kind of like the fun, kind of not disheveled in like a chaotic way, but in that kind of like fun, quirky way of mm-hmm. a historian. And he wrote the date on the board and it was like Thursday. And I can't remember what year it was. It was probably 2012 when I first started college. And uh, he talked about how Thursday actually comes from Thor and Thor's day. And like a lot of the days of the week come from Norse mythology. Mm. And then he talked about, um, you know, August and that comes from, Oh my gosh, am I quizzing myself live? <laughs> but anyway, it comes from the ancients. That's what I'll use vaguely. <laughs> yeah. And ancients. then we have the dates in the Gregorian calendar. And then we have the, the year, which is also part of the Gregorian calendar. Um, and then AD Anno Domini, a uh, year of the, our Lord, also, you know, after death or CE for current era, which is more secular, um, but still follows the Gregorian calendar. And it was like, wow, even the date is history. Mm. Everything around us is history. Everything around us was created at a, a certain time before. And some of those things have been harmful and some of those things have been for understanding and some of those things need to be changed, but we can all understand that they were created by people and can be appended by people. I simultaneously thought I wanted to do political science and my political science teacher at the time was rather conservative. It was also Louisiana. And I wasn't in a place of understanding where I felt like I could learn from people who maybe had different politics from me, who were not outright dehumanizing me, but just had different perspective. Cause I'm from Pasadena, California, like mm. very liberal, very, you know, coastal elite. <laughs> and then going mm-hmm. to the South, I was like, I was in the perspective of I have everything to teach and nothing to learn, mm. which is not a great vibe to have when you're literally enrolled in college. Mm. And so what also happened is that the political science classes were full and the communications classes were full, but the history and not only were they open in terms of enrollment, but the head of the department, Victor Stater, he was a godsend. He looks like Bill Murray. And I always thought it would be so funny if Bill Murray just decided to become the head of a department for history. Cause doesn't he do stuff like he that? Probably he, would. So- he probably was Bill Murray. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I know. Right. And I remember there was this one time at the end of my uh, class, cause I started looking at reconstruction, the period of history after the United States abolished uh, enslavement and started to rebuild and make things better for not just black Americans, but for all Americans, um, including having uh, Americans from China and from other areas of East Asia mm-hmm. and just really this rebirth and it went so differently than it could have but that's the breaks um and I remember I was one of my capstone classes I had to work at do my independent study because I wanted to graduate early so I could go to law school and the only independent study option I had was to work on a plantation and the only independent study option I had was to do it for free so I would be a black American working on a plantation for free to graduate college and I just came to Victor Stater to Dr. Stater and I was like, hi, so here's what's happening. And I told him and he was like, well, that's unacceptable. I look forward to your suggestions. Mm. And that was like, I get chills just thinking about it just now. Cause it's mm. like, 
that's how his that's how teachers need to be that's how mm. institutions need to be and i had helped plan an event for the school to bring john lewis late congressman john lewis to come speak and oh i'm going to get emotional and that evening I met Miss Sadie Roberts Joseph, who's also the late Miss Sadie Roberts Joseph. And she was wearing this beautiful, you know, African adornment. She was the most radiant woman. And she took me under her wing as a historian. And I interned at her museum. Um, and I created a connection between her museum and LSU, which was right in Baton Rouge. Mm. And she taught me so much. One of the things she taught me. I was set to teach these group of third graders. And I was telling her that these third graders aren't going to understand things like reconstruction and enslavement. And she told me in her infinite wisdom that if these third graders, I think that's probably around 10 years old, if they don't understand, that's not on the material, that's on the teacher. Mm. And I was like, ooh, drag me. Because I had gotten to this place of feeling superior because I had gotten a college degree or I was about to. And I had lost the sense of teaching and wonder that I had been raised with, Mm -hmm. which is that nobody is incapable of understanding something if it is provided to them in the correct way. Yes, And she changed my life. And in 2019, she was really tragically killed and it rocked my world. And I really started spiraling. But today I feel every day I'm honoring her mm. because I'm doing that education work. And to I, I wish she, I know that, you know, I've, I'm very spiritual. So I believe that she saw it with us to see people celebrating Juneteenth the way that they did in 2020 uh, and the way they did in 2021 with it becoming a federal holiday. She was who taught me about Juneteenth. Mm. She was who made me comfortable, not only with my black American identity, but being a descendant of the people of Africa. And for her legacy to be something I continue and to teach people about Juneteenth like she did in my own, you know, kind of more digital way is really what made me a historian. Uh, The degree was one thing, working with Dr. Stater and Dr. Ross was one thing, but something that was so connected to my, like on a visceral level was working with Miss Sadie Roberts Joseph. She changed my life and really passed the torch. Mm. I I love hearing that kind of a story of how A single person or a small group of people can connect to somebody on such a personal level and can just completely transform your path. And now, and now you're, you are carrying the torch and that like you are changing so many other people's lives because Mm -hmm. the material you share is so approachable and digestible and like, and, and eye opening. Mm -hmm. It it really does change the world. And it's so wonderful because I have like fond memories of her too. But she would have kids understand what it was like to pick cotton. They would she they'd have a bulb. Of, she'd have a bulb of cotton. She had uh, at the Odell S. Williams Center, mm. and they would try to be picking it out. And she'd be timing them. And this is a really safe and healthy way to teach kids what it was like for people to be in chattel slavery. That doesn't harm them. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't showing people being lynched or being whipped. Like mm-hmm. it's the healthiest way to connect with somebody. And I, I just did a lesson on Juneteenth and it got a million views. And I wonder what it would be like for me to talk to her about how I'm doing the work that she's doing. And on this like kind of like industrial tech scale, mm-hmm. I really encourage anybody who's listening to this to figure out how you can change somebody's life like that for the better, because we can all be influential in people's lives and you don't have to be a literal influencer to do that. You just have to be somebody that people look up to and Mm -hmm. everybody is admired by someone just like we all admire someone or many people. And so how can you open your door to other people? Because if I wouldn't have graduated without Miss Sadie Roberts Mm -hmm. Joseph Mm -hmm. and that is like 
just this this unbelievable gift. And I know that I was a small part of her life, but she was a huge part of mine. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, everyone has something to learn and something to teach. Yeah. We have one more question. Are you able to talk more about um, what you're doing with the Jim Henson Company? I am. So okay. I'm so excited yeah. about this. In December, I was able to announce that I'm developing uh, for the next several months, for the rest of this year, working with the Jim Henson Company to develop children's programming and doing it in a way that's really subversive and intentional and just bringing these lessons that kids want to know about to the kids themselves. And we're marketing it, I think, around ages 6 to 11, um, which is in the industry called Bridge because it's the bridge between preschool and I think like teens and doing it in this really compassionate way. And my producers are Lisa Henson herself, who's the daughter of Jim Henson, Hallie Stanford, who's absolutely amazing. Her Instagram is at Working Mom Nerd. And she's just, she's the reason that I'm doing this. She reached out to me and offered me this opportunity. And Sydney Clifton, who is so incredible and so intentional and a great friend of LeVar Burton, who actually is the reason why I'm an author. And it's just a dream come true because mm. I say things in real life, like, okie dokie, Smokey. Um, <laughs> or like, I just am a, I'm just a ball of dad jokes in my wardrobe. Like not right now, but I just have the most colorful cardigans and sweaters. Yeah. And I'm realizing I might be the perfect kids show host, or at least one of them. Cause there doesn't have to be one. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that there are so many shows that take place in schools, but there's not a lot of shows that are taking place in libraries and things like Between the Lions and shows like Reading Rainbow. I mean, I was the most hesitant reader and that's somebody, I'm somebody who writes books now. I didn't read confidently until third grade and shows like Reading Rainbow really gave me that confidence of books are for me too mm-hmm. and connecting with things. And so I, I just envision things where, you know, somebody pulls a book off a shelf and I hand it to them and they're transported to a different realm. So these are all very big things. It's highly in development. I don't know how much I can say and how much I can't, but it'll be me in some type of position of authority where we teach kids about kindness and imagination as we talk about really tough and difficult issues, but doing it in a way that it doesn't scare kids, but invites them to learn more. And if there's anyone who can do that, it is absolutely you. I, I'm really mm-hmm. excited Me about too. this. Me too. Me too. Well, thank, thank you, you for taking the time to to hang with us. We like to wrap up with a speed round if you're ready for some quick questions. Oh, yes. Let's do it. All right. What meal makes you feel at home and who cooked it? Beef stroganoff with sour cream in it. My mom. And mm. I might ask her to make that this weekend. Nice. And <laughs> we're willing to come over and have some of that too. Uh, oh, yeah. Most vivid memory of home. My sister and I painting the sculptures that we were not supposed to be painting as if we were in the roses in Alice in Wonderland and my mom being so overcome with laughter that she couldn't punish us. I think that sounds like you. That sounds like something Linda would do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What did you learn yesterday? Ooh, I learned that I am extremely extroverted because I got into a 20 minute conversation with a complete stranger and then my actual family member was like, we have to go now, but it was so great. And I didn't exchange contact information with them and I'm upset. So I just learned how much of an extrovert I am. Amazing. When was the last time your mind was changed about something and what was that? Ooh, I think that I was in Richmond, Virginia and I was trying to figure out how I could connect to an audience uh, who was predominantly white women. And I was thinking about how I could connect without changing my message. And I realized that your message can be for everyone it's just a matter of finding the right story. And I was telling a story about like my childhood and people came up to me from all walks of life 
uh, folks who... It was a lot of white women who had a lot of different experiences who really connected with it. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like mm. when, I, when you do anti-racism, it's not just for marginalized people. It's also for people who benefit from white supremacy who also want to change and do better. That's a really good lesson to take mm-hmm. away. Parenting tip for us? We're asking all our guests this because we're just fielding as much as we can. <laughs> you know, Ooh. something your, your parents may have passed down onto you, anything. One thing that I have a gripe with my parents about is that I really wanted a Tonka truck set and my brother really wanted to play with dolls. And this was the 90s and we're, we weren't as far as we are now with in terms of gender. I think let kids play with whatever toys they want in whatever way they can, as long as it's not hurtful or harmful to anyone. Um, and let everybody experience emotions, like let boys do ballet, like let girls play with Tonka trucks and um, just let kids be kids without enforcing gender roles onto Mm -hmm. them. And I think you'll get more liberated because I'm like, I I had such a great upbringing, but if I was allowed to play with Tonka trucks, who knows how invincible (laughs) I could be. Uh, Yeah, totally. You'd be a monster truck rapper. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. I think I'd heard you had uh, talked about how you, you came out to your mom when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. My parents were so open-minded. So when I came out to my mom, I was 15. And I had watched a lot of Degrassi. And there were so many episodes about Marco, who's a gay character. And I felt like if I didn't come out, I was lying to my parents. And that's not true. Like, when we're expected to come out as LGBTQ plus people, it's um, it's a misunderstanding of the fact that so many people are assumed to be straight and cisgender unless they tell you otherwise, but maybe we should just let people define themselves on their own time. Uh, but I wasn't doing that. I had like read the Kinsey scale and I was like, I'm this percent gay and this percent straight. And I didn't understand that bisexuality was a thing. But my whole life, I'm, I had told my mom like, oh my goodness, I have a crush on this person. I have a crush on this guy. I have a crush on this girl. And my mom had definitely like, oh yes, that's bisexuality. So in her wisdom, she waited until I was ready. She also was very much like with my brother. My brother's gay. He's four years older than me. And I'm bisexual. She was constantly being like, so do you want to tell me anything? Do my rainbow children want to come out? And we were like, mom, what are you talking about? We're so straight. Leave us alone. And so um, for myself, when I came out to my mom, I was like, okay, well, clearly I'm a lesbian because there are straight people and then there are there are gay people and that's it. And that's so not true. Mm. But that was a limited understanding I had at the time. And so I sat my mom down on the couch in the living room, very ABC family style. And I was like, mommy, I am a lesbian. And she was like, okay, no, hmm, I'm not sure. I think you're bisexual just based on, you know, and I was just like so upset that she stole my thunder. Um, <laughs> but we went to the, we went to the GLAD website and looked up the definition of bisexuality together on the family computer. And one of the things that it said is that you don't have to have equal ex- or any experiences uh, with people of different genders in order to be bisexual. And I knew that about myself and I wish that I had just, that I came out and that was everything. But I really struggled with biphobia where, you know, on Facebook you could mark interested in and you could put men and women. I was like, well, I'll never be outwardly bisexual, which is so hilarious in hindsight because I literally came out on national television. Um, But I was always very affirmed in my queerness. And I think that the truth is that you don't have to be shouting who you are in terms of your identity from the rooftops in order to accept yourself. That's up to you. Privacy Mm -hmm. is also a human right in addition to people being able to come out on their own terms. But my mom was so affirming. Like she put us in inclusive sex education wow. with like our doctor, Dr. Anvakar. She had me and my brother go together, which was already super cringe. <laughs> <laughs> but like they did everything right. And it was still uncomfortable because being a kid is uncomfortable yeah. sometimes. Yeah, it is. I love telling that story. And my mom is just like, you know, 
you can't live your life for other people. You have to live your life for yourself and, and so be in service of other people. But at the end of the day, if you aren't, if you don't know who you are, you need to discover who you are. And if you don't love who you are, then you need to heal through that and be in love with yourself because mm-hmm. you wake up with yourself, you go to sleep with yourself and you can't be living for other people or be living other people's expectation of who you are. Yeah, that, that's a lot of weight to try and carry. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I tell you, it's the, you're the, the young Dalai Lama of conversations that we've had here. I love, I love your mindfulness. So thank you for sharing. Thank yeah. you. I would never take that title away from the Dalai Lama because, wow, that's intense. I try to be an intentional person. Yeah. And by the way, we have an amazing team and just want to say a huge thank you to all of them. We could not do this without them. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. West Friend. Chris Cobain. Nicole Schachter. And Sabrina Ayakobuchi. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And our music composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Yes, please do. Please do. And also leave comments on our social media at At Home. We love to hear from you. Dun, 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 dun. ADT <laughs> now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. <gasps> dun, dun. Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm -hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.